He's not habitually over and over and over offering himself. He's not still on the cross. He is resurrected. He is ascended. He has seated at the right hand of the Father. And this one who is raised, ascended, seated, and sovereign, he will secure you if you will come to him. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are nearing the end of Chapter 8 in our study of the Book of Romans. The last few verses of this great chapter attest to the love that God has for His children, a love that surpasses not only our understanding, but that will never, ever be broken regardless of the situations we face or however we may let God down. In verses 35 through 39, the Apostle Paul gives a list of things that some might think could separate us from the love of Christ. And in all these items, he says, that is impossible. Listen, we are so spoiled here in the American church. We need to wake up. We have no room for complacency when we see what many of our brethren are going to. So can famine, can nakedness separate us from the love of Christ? Paul knew what it was like to be cold in prison. He asked Timothy to bring the cloak. Winter's coming. I desperately need it. How about perils? Can perils separate us from the love of Christ? The Greek word is translated different ways in our English text. Danger, hazards, threats. Paul knew by experience peril in many, many instances in his life. When he writes to the Corinthians, he says, in journeys, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, same word, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Earlier in the same letter, when he refers to these dangers, to these perils, he calls it momentary light affliction. Let me read that to you. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And so when he evaluates this life in light of the next, he says, while we look not at the things which are seen, we sang about that this morning in the opening hymn, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You say, Paul, you were beaten. Paul, you were starved. Paul, you were lashed. Paul, you were driven out of cities. Paul, you nearly drowned in the Mediterranean. You were hated by your own Jewish brethren, and the Gentiles despised you as well. And you had 35 years of this stuff. And he calls it momentary light affliction. How could he say such a thing? Because he's comparing this life in light of the next. And so we've already studied here in the 8th chapter, if you look down in uh, verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We saw that word consider. The King James says, I reckon. We studied it in the sixth chapter. It's a bookkeeping term. And it's a counting term. And so Paul says, on one side of the ledger, I put all the perils of life, and he knew them all. And on the other side of of the ledger, I, I, I put glory, the future life that is in front of us in that marvelous place called heaven. And he says, there's no comparison. One of my brothers in Christ, he's now in his 70s this week. He came into my office and he said, you know, my wife and I, we don't want to stop. 
We want to work until the Lord takes us. He said, a lot of our friends are just sitting back and they're coasting, but we want to work. He said, my wife said to me, we got all of eternity to enjoy. Let's serve him while we can. And that was Paul's, Paul's mindset. He said, listen, the dangers, the perils of this life don't even compare to the future glory that is in front of us. So can perils separate us from the love of Christ? Just mark that off your list. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, will distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And if you read the list carefully, you discover that Paul experienced every single one of these seven except the last one, the sword. Obviously, he hadn't experienced it yet. That's why he's writing to us. But he will experience it. It's just a matter of time. Nero will literally take the sword and take his head off for the faith. Missiologists tell us at the U.S. Center for World Missions that every year between 600 and 700,000 Christians around the world die because they name the name of Christ. Listen, I don't know how they come up with that number, but if just half of it was correct, it is a huge number. But the Lord Jesus reminded us, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So you can just mark sword, the sword off the list. Nothing, not even death, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And to prove this, Paul quotes Psalm 44. You see there verse 36 in your Bibles? What is it di- what's different about the verse? Look at it. Don't look at me. Look at your text. If you don't have a Bible, you need to get one. I'll help you to come see me. You will see in your text, it's all caps, right? That tells you it is an Old Testament quotation. And if you look out in the margin, you will see it's from Psalm 44 in our English Bible, Psalm 43 in the Hebrew and other Bibles of the world. Now, if you know Psalm 44 then you know it depicts the persecution that Israel had from the Gentile nations around them. They were being derided, they were being mocked, they were being reproached, they were being killed, not for discipline by God, but because they were serving God, because they were loving God. And so he says, why are we doing this? The psalmist, if you know the psalm in essence, he says, listen, I don't care what they do. I have determined for your sake, O God, because I love you with all of my heart, that even if they kill me, I'm going to serve you. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, Paul can use this verse because, again, he is about to experience it, and the Roman Christians are soon going to experience it in 68 A.D., When Nero, out of his sadistic mind and his warped sense of entertainment, is going to take the Christians there in Rome, literally dip them in oil and make them human torches in his garden. Now, those of us who have never had to physically suffer for the cause of Christ, we would do well to read verses 35 to 39 in this passage, but also to read a parallel text, verses 35 to 39 in Hebrews 11. And if you know that section of Scripture, we read of a group of unnamed Christians who are tortured, jeered, flogged, chained, stoned, and even cut in two. We see the tremendous price that those early Christians paid to help lay the foundation for the church that we enjoy today. And so we have no room for shallowness or complacency. For your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
Nevertheless, pain, misery, loss of life cannot in any way alienate us from the love of Christ. He says, notice, when he's describing these sheep who are being slaughtered every day, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, when you think of sheep, you don't usually think of sheep as being a a victorious conquering animal, do you? I certainly don't. They're pretty weak animals. They're very defenseless. Now, we might think of a lion or a cheetah or an elephant or an eagle, but certainly not sheep. I mean, sheep, they don't stand a chance. But please notice here in verse 37 that the victory is not given by the strength of the sheep, but by the shepherd through him who loved us, just like King David taught in the 23rd Psalm. It doesn't matter how weak you are. What is important is how strong the shepherd is. Now, do you see those words? We overwhelmingly conquer there in the New American Standard. In the King James and the ESV, they translate it with four words. We are more than conquerors. Well, whatever translation you have, it's actually one word in Greek, and it's a compound word. It's the word hypernikao, hyper. Now, we think of the word hyper, like a, you know, a, a hyper three-year-old running around out of control, or a hyper 10-year-old wound up on video games who needs to be you know, calmed down by Ritalin or whatever they're using to fix the problems. And we think of it generally in a negative connotation. But it's actually a positive word. In fact, the Latin translation that Jerome did, he translated it super. It, you could, it carries the idea of something that is super terrific, super fantastic, super wonderful. So there's the word hyper, and then there's the word nikao. We uh, bring it right into English as Nike. What does nikao mean? It means victory. In fact, Nike was the goddess of victory that the Romans worshipped. And so there's a a sports company named Nike found on their tennis shoes and basketball shoes and all the other stuff they sell. I mean, there's nothing sweeter than victory. We love it when our team wins, right? Listen to what Paul said. But when this perishable, speaking of his body, will put on the imperishable, speaking of his resurrected body, and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in nakao, in victory. Same word used by John in 1 John 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. But for the Holy Spirit, in this instance, as he describes the eternal security of the believer, nakao is not enough. He wants to inflect it. He wants to talk about super victory. And by the way, this is the only place in all of the Bible where this word is found. Paul is saying, listen, in all these circumstances, we are super victorious. We are more than conquerors, the King James says. The CSB says we are more than victorious. The Net Bible says we have complete victory. Our eternal security is indeed secure. It is a a super victory that we have in Jesus Christ. So notice now what he says, for I am convinced. He doesn't say persuaded. In verses 35, he says persuaded in some of your translations. It says convinced here. In verses 35 to 36, he asks a series of seven questions. Will anything separate us from the love of Christ? Now he closes this off, verses 38 and 39, with 10 items. Four pairs that each contrast each other, like life and death, angels, principalities, and two things that stand on their own. A total of 10 items. And he wants to make it clear from these 10 items, and they encompass everything in the spiritual and physical universe. 
that nothing can separate us. I am convinced or I am persuaded. Please notice what he does not say. He does not say, I'm convinced that God will give you a job. He doesn't say, I'm convinced that God will make you healthy. He doesn't say, I'm convinced that God will bless you and make you rich. That will preach in Houston, but it won't preach in Rome because Paul knows that's not true. Listen, the prosperity gospel is a different gospel and it's trapping people by the millions and taking them down the course of hell. And I meet these people who come out of these churches, met one this week, been in a church like that in Charleston for 20 years, doesn't even know the plan of salvation. 20 years. Listen, he says, for I am convinced that neither death, now death is feared by a lot of people because they have never found God's forgiveness or they rationalize death and they either try to deny it or that everyone's going to heaven. And But God knows you can't deny death. He's written death into your hearts. Eternity, the Bible says, is written into your heart. Everyone in this room has a sense that there's life beyond the grave. But many people fear death and they view it as an enemy. And it is personified as an enemy, but an enemy that Jesus Christ conquered. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. The Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus and then it said Lazarus died. But Paul is convinced, he's persuaded that not even death can separate us. In fact, when he writes to the Philippians and the Corinthians, in one sense he says death is not a bad thing. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If in this life you have Christ, to die is gain and that you have more of Christ. And he said it's actually a blessed thing to depart and be with Christ there in Philippians 1. In 2 Corinthians, he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so death for the Christian is just a change of dress. It's the door that opens up into the eternal place that God has created for us. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he was a great preacher of the 10th Presbyterian Church in the 1950s, probably one of the better expositors of the Word of God in that era. God used him in a mighty way. He took, by the way, eight years to preach through Romans, so don't complain and tell me I'm going too long here. (laughs) But as he was married and not that long into his marriage, Less than a decade, his wife was taken home to be with the Lord, and he had several children, and he was trying to explain it to them, and they were all crying in the back seat of the car as they left the graveyard that day, and he was crying with them, and he just didn't know how he was going to help these kids. And then as they were sitting at a stoplight, a truck came by and cast a shadow over his car and God gave him some insight and he asked his children, what would you rather be, run over by a truck or run over by the shadow of a truck? And his oldest boy said, that's easy, daddy. We'd rather be run over by the shadow because it wouldn't hurt us. He says, children, death has not hurt your mother. It's just a shadow. She's just walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's all it is. It is a place that moves us from earth up into heaven. And Paul is saying, listen, death cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Look at the parallel there. He says, neither death nor life. Presumably here, the calamities of life. You mean there's nothing, no heartache, 
no uh, bitterness that people have against me, no, no deprivation that I may feel like I am going through that can be a sign that God has abandoned me? Absolutely not. Jesus said in the Great Commission before his ascension, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, or you could translate it to the end of the world. Literally, the Greek says to the end of ion. When we come to Romans 6, 16, it's going to describe God as the ion God, the eternal God. Jesus said, I'm always with you, even to the end of eternity. David Livingston, I love to read missionary biographies, and his is definitely worth reading. There are several on his life. But Livingston was the great 19th century missionary who was used mightily of God to bring many people into the kingdom. And you talk about someone who suffered. He suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, and his biographies have been written out of his journals. And now over every single hardship that he went through, he would write out the verse, Matthew 28, 20, and then he would write this after the verse. These are the words of God, who is a gentleman of the highest and most sacred honor. So that's the end of it. I like that. He had a perspective that we need to have, that the Lord will not abandon us through life's calamities. How about angels? I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels. Why would Paul even mention angels, you ask? Because there was a lot of bad theology on angels in that day as in this day. You go into any secular bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, they got huge sections on angels and 98% of it is sheer trash and heresy that has nothing to do with what the Bible reveals. There's myriads of books that are written about angels in our day. There's a fascination with angels. And the rabbis in Paul's day taught, and it's a well-documented fact by Josephus and other historians from the first century, that everything literally had an angel. The clouds had an angel. The snow had an angel. The hail had the angel. The cold had an angel. The hot had the angel. A blade, there wasn't a blade of grass, they taught, that didn't have an angel. Add to that, there was a common belief in that day that the angels were a little put out by the fact that God had made the angels lower than man, that we are above the angels in the ultimate standard and plan of God. And so some thought, well, maybe some of these angels who would be put out would rebel again, just like there was a first rebellion when Lucifer took a third of all the angels, and together they rebelled against God. Some think, well, maybe there'll be another one. Well, if you took our course on angelology, you know that's impossible. Just like when you go to heaven, it is impossible for you to ever leave the eternal standing you have. Even so it is, once angels had gone through that time of testing and made their decision, the Bible teaches they are forever and ever and ever throughout all of eternity praising and worshiping God. So angels are not going to separate us. In fact, angels, holy angels, elect angels that he's referring to, are here to help us. In Hebrews chapter 1, he says, are they, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Yes, they are. They are servants to those of us who will inherit salvation. There's still a third dimension to our salvation that has not yet been kicked in. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. I will be saved. God bless the Lord Jesus made it possible from the very presence of sin someday. 
In Luke 16, when Lazarus dies, angels usher him into the presence of God. And when Jesus comes back, he comes back with myriads and myriads, millions and millions of angels to take us into the presence of God. They're not against us. They're here to serve us, so they can't. Well, what about principalities? Arche, that's the opposite. Here called principalities and other places called demons, like in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 2. Could some demon separate us from the love of God? Paul says, no way. Can demons who harass some Christians, can demons who confuse some Christians in some way separate us? No, perhaps some folks were thinking of, well, the chief demon. Maybe the devil could somehow separate us from the love of God. Is that possible? Paul says, absolutely not. How are you so sure? You let Scripture interpret Scripture. Paul said in Colossians 2 that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through his cross. Even the chief demon, Satan, has been defeated. You are from God, John writes, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he, Christ, that is in you than he, the devil, who is in the world. Listen, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when he said that, he meant exactly that. Well, keep reading. We're almost done, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nothing in this present world can separate you, nor things to come. That about covers all the bases. In other words, there's nothing in the present and nothing in the future that can erase the secure position you have in Christ. For I'm convinced that not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, not things present, nor things to come, nor powers... Dunamis, this is slightly different from principalities. The powers he's speaking is used in the New Testament of humans who are living evil lives. It's used of Simon the sorcerer who's involved and energized by the devil. Can some demonically energized person separate you from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. Now they may confuse some Christians for a, for a spell, but they cannot separate you from the love of Christ. There's no power, no energy that can overtake the believer. Now he moves from time to space when he says, nor height, nor depth will be able to separate you from the love of God. The Greek word height and the Greek word depth is sometimes used in a technical sense of astrological powers, but I think here it's being used just like King David uses it in Psalm 139. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave and Sheol, you're there as well. In other words, if you take a vertical line and you extend it infinitely up or a vertical line and you extend it infinitely down, you'll never go beyond the reach of God's love. Nothing in heaven above or earth below can separate you. One hymn writer said it so well, we've sung it often. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. I'm convinced neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And just in case you think he missed something, 
nor any other created thing. And that includes you because you were created. In fact, everything that exists was created by God will be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you can name something not covered in these categories that could sever your salvation, you come up to me after the service and if you can show me something, I'll pay you $1,000. But don't waste your breath. It covers everything. This is security. God has loved you with an everlasting love. He's predestined you to become conformed to His image. And what He began, He is going to pull off. Listen, if you're here today and you're wondering about the mystery of life and the meaning of life, you need to look no further than to the One who created you, Jesus Christ Himself. And if you will come to Him, He will receive you. And if you come to Him, He will secure you for all of eternity. You don't have to hope in reincarnation. You don't have to work your way into the third heaven. You don't have to earn your way into paradise. You don't have to suffer your way out of purgatory. All you need to do is to come to Jesus Christ and He is seated because it is a completed work. He's not habitually over and over and over offering Himself. He's not still on the cross. He is resurrected. He is ascended. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this one who is raised, ascended, seated, and sovereign, He will secure you if you will come to Him. And I hope you will do that today. Let's bow in prayer. Father, help us as the Apostle Paul prayed to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Help us to begin to even get an inkling of it. I pray today for someone who is here who has resisted the Lord Jesus, may they realize that they are resisting one who deeply loves them more than anyone they've ever met or will meet on this earth. Help them to come to Him today. Thank You that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Help them to admit that they cannot be their own Redeemer, that they can do nothing to save themselves, that Jesus did it for them and He completed all that is necessary Help someone in simple, childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father, for those of us who know you, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Help us to comprehend even further this great love that you have for us. We know we live in a day of great shallowness and a day of great compromise. And you warned us that as we approach the end of the age, that men's love would grow cold, that what would typify the average Christian will not be a passionate love for Christ, but lukewarmness. May you guard us from such evil. May we be willing to watch over our hearts with all diligence, knowing that from them come the very springs of life. Help us to love you because you first loved us. And you said, this is the love of God that we keep your commandments. And so as we pause this morning, we thank you that you've loved us so securely, so everlastingly, that nothing can separate us. Help us never to abuse that doctrine, to be, but to be propelled with a zeal, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live holy and righteously in this present age. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. No one can snatch the believer out of the Father's hand. What a blessed truth that is, one that we can cling to 
and take comfort in as believers regardless of our situations. If you'd like a copy of today's message entitled More Than Conquerors in its entirety, download the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets. There you can listen to not only the entire Romans series, but any book of the Bible that Dr. Brogy has ever taught. You can find the app in the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or request a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478. Tomorrow, we transition from the doctrinal section of Romans, chapters 1 to 8, to what is commonly referred to as the national section, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Join us then as Pastor Brogy addresses some very contemporary issues as we search the scriptures.